0: Welcome to the beginning and first lesson of the Didache Divine Service. You should have picked up on your way in a white sheet, which has the catechesis for the night, and a pink cardstock sheet. Keep the white one. Take this home with you. Take notes on it. Return the pink sheet at the door for reuse in subsequent weeks. Let us begin... In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, let us pray. Merciful God, your Son Jesus Christ was lifted high upon the cross, that he might bear our sins and the sins of the whole world and draw all people to himself. Grant that we, who glory in his death for our redemption, may faithfully heed his call to bear the cross and follow him who lives and reigns with you and the holy spirit one god now and forever amen the hymn 865 <laughs> Since this is the first session of our Didache Divine Service, a few announcements are in order. As I said at the beginning, these white sheets are there for you to actually take with you, and I would encourage you to do that. They're also for you to take additional notes on uh, in addition to what I have here. The peach-colored cardstock is the liturgy for Holy Communion that follows the catechesis that we will go through from the white sheet. In Christian piety in general, and in Lutheran piety, that would be devotion to the Lord uh, by by way of piety, there are three books that we always use. Can you name one of them? The Bible. The Bible. Now, I've got the text from the Bible for us on our white sheet, but the Bible, the, the Bible is God's Word, inspired by the Holy Spirit and inerrant. The apostles and the prophets were chosen by God specifically to write the Scriptures. The Holy Spirit breathed into them God's very Word. They are eyewitnesses of the wonderful acts of God in the Old Testament for their salvation and in the New Testament in the person and work of Jesus. The apostles and prophets, who by the inspiration of the Spirit wrote the Bible, were confirmed by God through miraculous signs. The plagues, for example, in Egypt pointed to Moses, this is God's prophet, and every subsequent prophet had to speak and write according to the five books of Moses. In the New Testament, the apostles were eyewitnesses of Jesus' ministry from his baptism through to his death and resurrection. They were chosen specifically by him to bear witness to what he said and what he did. And they were chosen to proclaim his word and to give us the New Testament scriptures. We base all of our doctrine in the church since the time of the apostles upon the apostolic and the prophetic scriptures. So that's why the Bible is central. It is God's word. And the message of the Bible is easily remembered if you look at the front of the church. And what do you see? The cross. Today, September 14th, is Holy Cross Day, one of the oldest Festivals in the church here, it dates back to uh, 323 AD, just prior to the legalization of Christianity, when Constantine's mother, Helena, discovered the cross on which Jesus was crucified. So it's Holy Cross Day. The collect at the beginning, uh, I prayed, was for Holy Cross Day, but as Christians, We worship Jesus, the Son of God in human flesh, who died for our sins upon the cross and who fulfilled all righteousness. Jesus Christ is at the center of both the Old and New Testament scriptures, which over the course of our didache, we will see. So the Bible is the first and most important book of Christian piety or devotion to the Lord. The second is the Catechism, And I'm holding up what's called the small catechism of Martin Luther, but it didn't begin with Martin Luther. Have you heard of the Ten Commandments, yes or no? Yes. They're recorded in Exodus 20 and Deuteronomy 5. That's God's Word. Have you heard of the Lord's Prayer? Yes. It's given by Jesus and recorded in the Gospel of Matthew chapter 6 and Luke chapter 11. Have you heard of the sacrament of holy baptism? Yes. Jesus' command is given in Matthew 28. Go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. In Mark 16, whoever believes and is baptized will be saved. That's God's word. Have you heard of the Lord's Supper? Yes. The words of our Lord, take, eat, this is my body which is given for you. Drink of it, all of you. This cup is the New Testament in my blood which is shed for you. Which we'll hear again tonight in the sacrament. Those words are recorded in the Gospel of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and by St. Paul in 1 Corinthians. Four places. No wonder the Lord's Supper, since the time of the Apostles in the Apostolic Catholic Church, has been at the center of our worship. Some traditions... Call it the mass, our tradition has called it the mass or the divine service where God comes to us, divine, and he serves us, preaching his word and giving us his sacrament, the Lord's preaching and the Lord's supper. So catechism, commandments, Lord's prayer, baptism, Lord's supper, and have you heard of confession and absolution? Jesus said in John 20, if you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven. If you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. There's confession in the office of the keys. Word of God, John chapter 20. Have you heard of the Apostles' Creed? Yes. Now the Apostles' Creed, in the form that we have it today, dates back to the 2nd century A.D., which is the 100s. And it predates that in the language, the words, and the phrases because it is a summary of the entirety of the Old and New Testament expressing in the most basic form from the scriptures using scriptural language the Christian confession of faith that there is one God in three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, He is our Creator. Jesus Christ, the Son of God, is our Redeemer and Savior. And the Holy Spirit, who creates the holy Christian church and the communion of saints, by the forgiveness of sins, he raises us from the dead and gives us everlasting life for Christ's sake. The Apostles' Creed, while not found in one chapter and verse, is nonetheless a summary of the totality of the Scriptures. It's thoroughly biblical. And it predates Martin Luther. You're talking about the 16th century. That's the catechism. And the church in her catechesis from the beginning made use of those texts, the commandments, the creed, the Lord's prayer, and the texts on the sacraments. And didache is a Greek word that means teaching. Teaching. The teaching, the foundational teaching. And that's what our Didache, divine services, will all be about. We will make use of Luther's small catechism. What he did was simply take what he received from the church Catholic and write his explanations to each of the commandments, each of the articles of the creed, the petitions of the Lord's Prayer, etc. So the three main books, Bible, Catechism, have you heard of a hymnal? Christians have been singing since the Old Testament. The disciples left the upper room after celebrating the Passover, Jesus instituting the Lord's Supper. As they journeyed out to the Garden of Gethsemane, they sang a hymn. It's recorded in the Gospels. There is simply no expression of the Christian faith apart from the church's song. Where we confess our faith in song, where we teach one another in song, and where we proclaim the wonders and the mysteries of God's love for us in Christ in song. The hymnal binds us together with a common liturgy and a common hymnity, which makes it then objective as opposed to subjective. In other words, it's not my hymnal or my catechism or my Bible, but the church's liturgy, the church's song, the church's catechism, and the church's scriptures. Okay? So those are the three books that we will make use of over the course of our didache. For your convenience, as I said, I'm going to provide you a study sheet, take it home with you, and feel free to write on it. Return the pink sheet uh, at the end for reuse. This first lesson, what you just had, was an introduction to the whole of Didache. And in that introduction, I said that Christians worship Jesus, the Son of God in human flesh, who died for our sins upon the cross. But we're going to be followers of Jesus, catechumens of Jesus, by walking through these texts of the commandments, the creed, the Lord's Prayer, and the sacraments. Tonight, we begin the first of three evenings together on the Ten Commandments. What are the Ten Commandments? Anyone? God's word. They are God's Word. Can you narrow that even a little bit more, Tom? Physically. God's Law. There you go. Okay. It is God's Word, and we speak of God's Word in two fundamental ways. God's Law, which tells us what we're to do. You shall have no other gods. Honor your father and your mother. That's what you're supposed to do, Mark. Okay? And then we speak of God's word also in terms of gospel. Gospel is based on a Greek word that means good news. The law, God's law, tells us what we're to do and what we're not to do. The gospel proclaims what God has done to save us from our sins. The gospel, the good news, proclaims all that God in love has done for us in Jesus Christ our Savior. The gospel proclaims the good news of the forgiveness of sins as a gift of God's grace. Tonight, number three on your sheet, it says the Ten Commandments preach repentance, which means they show us our sin and how much we need a Savior. Would you recite with me the Ten Commandments, which includes the close of the commandments, he says, I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God. But let us speak together. The Ten Commandments preach repentance. They show us our sin and how much we need a Savior. Together, you shall have no other gods. You shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God. Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Honor your father and your mother. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony against your neighbor. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his manservant or maidservant, his ox or donkey, or anything that belongs to your neighbor. He says, I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, punishing the children for the sin of the fathers to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing love to a thousand generations of those who love me and keep my commandments. Now before going into the first, second, and third commandments in greater detail, I want to ask you some questions about the 10 commandments. Honor your father and your mother. So Russell, have you throughout your life always honored your father and your mother? Always no. Always you shall not give false testimony, which includes that's the 8th commandment. It includes forbidding lying of every sort, forbidding sins of the tongue, gossip, slander. So, Daniel, have you always kept the Eighth Commandment? No. I'll just ask this question in general. The Sixth Commandment says you shall not commit adultery. Now, you might congratulate yourself if you're married that you have never committed the physical act of adultery with someone, but Jesus said of the Sixth Commandment, whoever lusts after a woman has committed adultery with her in his heart. Why am I asking you these questions about the Ten Commandments? Have any of you kept the Ten Commandments Perfectly throughout your entire life. No. In fact, the boasting that you have is itself sin. That's why the heading here says under number three, the Ten Commandments preach repentance. Repentance involves not only the knowledge of sin, but the belief. Yes, I am a sinner. Now, we have in our liturgy which is not unique to Lutheran, but it goes back to the time of the Old Testament prophets. The phrase, O Almighty God, merciful Father, I, a poor, miserable sinner, confess unto you all my sins and iniquities. The phrase poor, miserable sinner does not refer to emotional state of being. In other words, you can be a happy and joyful poor, miserable sinner What does it refer to? It refers to the spiritual condition of a person before God as a sinner, state of being. In the Psalms, you have language like this. Out of the depths, I cry to you, O Lord. O Lord, hear my prayer. If you, O Lord, kept a record of sins, O Lord, who could stand? No one. But with you, there is forgiveness that you may be feared. Okay? They're called the penitential psalms. Or like Psalm 51, I was brought forth in iniquity and in sin my mother conceived me. A state of being. That's what poor, miserable sinner means. Apart from God's salvation in Jesus, we're poor, miserable sinners. We don't have a leg to stand on. We have no righteousness of our own. This is repeated then numerous times in the New Testament Where, for example, St. Paul says in Romans, I know that in me, that is in my flesh, there dwells no good thing. He says in the book of Romans, By the works of the law, no flesh will be justified in God's sight. For by the law comes the knowledge of sin. That's what it means. The Ten Commandments preach repentance. They show us our sin apart from the knowledge of sin, apart from coming to know and believe, I am a sinner and I cannot save myself. We will have no use for Jesus. So that's what the liturgy is saying. We say, I'm a poor, miserable sinner. That has nothing to do with emotion. It has to do with, apart from Christ, I have no hope. Your works cannot save you. Because even if you were to say to God, what good thing must I do to inherit eternal life? The question itself is self-centered. Why not do good because it's the right thing to do, even if you get no reward for it? See? So even our best actions are tainted with sin. So, but this is why we're Christians, Because we do not believe in ourselves. We don't trust in ourselves for salvation. We don't trust in our obedience to the law because the law is always accusing us. We trust in Christ. And what we'll learn over these first three weeks and on from there is that Jesus is the one who kept the law. So St. Paul says toward the end of his ministry, Whatever was to my profit, I consider a loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss that would otherwise be maybe good things. My work, my education, my position in life, my achievements, my accomplishment, I consider it all a loss compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For whose sake I've lost all things, I consider them rubbish. That I may gain Christ and be found in him. I'm quoting directly from Philippians. That I may be found in him. Not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law. But having the righteousness that comes from God and is by faith. I want to know Christ, the power of his resurrection, and the fellowship of sharing in his suffering. If your faith is not in Jesus alone for salvation as your savior, then you're not a Christian. Because to be a Christian means, I'm a sinner, but he's my savior. He died for me. I didn't die for myself. He paid the price for my sins. This is what separates Christianity from all other religions. Even other religions that might claim to be Christian, but if those denominations or religions drive you back to reliance upon yourself, your works, or the works of somebody else, it is not Christian. So this is a very important introduction to all of Didache. That Christ is our righteousness. The law accuses, it shows us our sin. That we might despair of ourselves and cling to him in whom there's forgiveness, the gift of salvation, eternal life. It sets us free from a guilty conscience. It delivers us from the power of hell it actually receiving God's forgiveness and love through faith in Jesus makes a beginning of creating the fruits of faith, which are the works of love, good works to the neighbor, but not for our benefit, for the neighbor's benefit. Okay. More about the Ten Commandments as we go. We've got the first and the second and the third commandments there before you. Though the law always accuses us. It shows us our sin. It tells us what we're to do and not to do. As Christians who believe in Christ, we recognize that though the law points the accusing finger at it, we recognize that the law is good. And out of the faith that God has created in our hearts, we actually want to do good, even though we fall short. Okay? So, you shall not murder, the fifth commandment. That commandment protects the sanctity of human life. So if I were to pull out a knife and stab Mark right now, you would all be aghast. How could he do that? And you would all think that that's wrong, and you would be right to think that. Why? Because we value life. This is something about the Ten Commandments. God's law is actually written on the hearts of all people because we're created by God, whether they believe in Jesus or not. I mean, only the crassest of persons out in the world today, only the most godless, think that adultery is fine or murder is fine or stealing is fine or lying is fine. But the average person believes, no, murder is wrong, adultery is wrong, stealing is wrong, lying is wrong. Why? Because we're made by God and the law is written in our hearts. But what the sinful human being does is tries to manipulate God's, wa- God's law, even the law written in our hearts, to, to make excuses, to justify ourselves. Okay. But God's law proclaims what is good, and, and, and as Christians... We want to keep the law even though we fall woefully short. And that's where things like confession and absolution come into play, not only for comfort for sins, but also for prayer and strength and help to do what God's will is according to the Ten Commandments. So, for example, forgive me, Lord, for dishonoring my mom and dad for chafing under their headship and care of me. Give me strength to love them, to honor and obey them, to serve and and obey them, to love and cherish them. All right, a little bit about how different aspects of the law. Let's go to the first commandment itself. What, What is the first commandment? You shall have no other gods. Now, I put in parentheses uh, a phrase here. It is as if God were saying to you, trust me. Trust me. I created you. And I saved you. The Ten Commandments demand a context. And they're set in the context of the totality of Scripture. Who is this God? Well, he is the triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, the God who created us and the God who redeemed us. And so what he says to you is, trust me. I love you. I have made you, and though you fell into sin, I have redeemed you. Trust me. So to have a God is to trust in someone or something. So when it says, you shall have no other gods, we're to trust in the Lord God above all things. And that's why the explanation says, and this is the simple explanation but yet profound from Luther's small catechism, we should fear, love, and trust in God above all things. Because there is only one God who created and saves, who sanctifies and upholds us. Even if we ignore him, and we think about the unbelieving world, the rain still falls And the sun still still shines, and God still sustains the world, even for the atheist, okay? But for us as Christians, we hear these words, there's only one true and living God, and he's saying, trust me. And the basis for that trust is first that he, he is God, and only he. And secondly, he is the God of love. What is the second commandment? You shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God. Now I have in parentheses here. Just as under the first commandment, it is as if God were saying to us, trust me. Here in the second commandment, he's saying, pray to me. And notice the relationship. When children trust mommy or when they trust daddy, do they not go to mommy and daddy when they're in trouble? When they have a need? when they've skinned their knee. Mommy, mommy, mommy. They run for help. That's prayer. And notice the linkage between the first commandment, trust me, you shall have no other gods. I created you, I love you. And the second commandment, pray to me. Because out of the trust of our heart, we call upon God in every trouble. And that's what the explanation says. What does this mean? Let's say it together. We should fear and love God so that we do not curse, swear, use satanic arts, lie or deceive by his name, but call upon it in every trouble, pray, praise, and give thanks. Now, notice the genius of the catechism here, how the explanation begins like the explanation to the first commandment. You shall have no other gods. We should fear and love God. Just like the first commandment, we should fear love and trust in God above all things. Because the first commandment, or put it another way, the call to trust God is the foundation for all of the commandments. So that's why if you you break one of the commandments, you're guilty of breaking them all. Because behind all of them is the call to trust God. So the man commits adultery. Adultery. Because he doesn't trust that the wife that God gave him is the one he should have. A man steals because he doesn't trust that what he has is sufficient. The man lies and slanders someone because, doggone it, I'm going to get justice. God's not going to do it. I will. And I'll get it by slandering my neighbor because, after all, he's a bad guy. So all transgression as its root cause in the fundamental problem of mistrust. So, then you'll also notice that in this second explanation, and it'll run throughout all of the rest of the Ten Commandments as we'll see next week and the week after, there's a negative uh, prohibition, and then there's a positive description of what faithfulness or obedience to that commandment looks like. So here, we should fear and love God, Here's the negative. So that we do not curse. That's calling down God's judgment upon someone, saying, damn you. We do not curse, swear. That means to take an oath, but then to speak lies. Curse, swear, use satanic arts. That's where you dabble in things like the occult or superstition. You know, step on the crack and break your mother's back. Don't uh, walk underneath a ladder and all that's a superstition. That really elevates those things above God. Curse swear you satanic hearts. Lie or deceive by his name. Even if you don't use God's name, if you lie and you deceive, you're transgressing the second commandment. And that's especially true for the baptized because we have been baptized in the name of the triune God. So if we lie or deceive and God's name was put upon us, that's transgression of the second commandment. And then the positive. But call upon it. Call upon the name of God. Call upon it in every trouble. Pray, praise, and give thanks. Now I want you to think about Jesus. When he was in trouble in Holy Week, the devil was assaulting him. He was on his way to the cross. He went out to the Garden of Gethsemane. And he sweat, as it were, drops of blood from his forehead. And he says... O oh, my father if it be possible let this cup pass from me nevertheless not my will but yours be done call upon the name of God in every trouble pray praise and give thanks from the cross when they crucified him he prayed father forgive them for they know not what they do so you have in Jesus one who in every case he trusted in his father with all his heart He cried out to his Father in prayer fervently without a shred of doubt. And then the third commandment, remember the Sabbath day. He listened to the Father's word. What is the third commandment? Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. It is as if God, whom we are called to trust, first commandment, whom we pray to, second commandment, it is as if he were saying to us, hear me. Why? Because my word gives you life. At creation, God said, and it was so. And faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. So hear me, my word gives you life. So we speak in this way about these commandments, because all too often, Christians or the common man only thinks of the law in the negative, what you're not to do, that God is just, you know, heaping upon us these horribly oppressive commandments, which because of sin they become horribly oppressive because we can't avoid the accusation of them. But in and of themselves they're good. And what they're articulating and why is good. To trust God is good. To trust him above all things is good. To pray to him is good. And to hear him is good. It's the law, and it describes what is good. And it also, Tom, describes that in Jesus, you have the fulfillment of the law because he is everything that we fail to be. Okay, So remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Literally, it means you shall sanctify the holy day, and what sanctifies or makes the day or the person or the work or anything holy is God's word. Okay, So... Uh, Recite what does this mean? We should fear and love God so that we do not despise preaching and His word, but hold it sacred and gladly hear and learn it. Again, notice the negative. so we do not despise preaching and His word. To stay away from church where God's word is preached and taught, because you've got better things to do or things you want to do more. Things that take priority over the divine. I'll go if I have time and have nothing else to do. That's transgression of the third commandment. But hold it sacred, God's word sacred, and gladly hear and learn it. That's the life of faith that trusts God and that prays to God. It hears God's word and rejoices to do so. Because, again, it's the source of life. Now, this is first, second, and third commandment is sometimes called the first table of the law. The law two tables of the law. You can see up here on the banner, Christ fulfills the law for us. I'd like you to stand up right now and tell me if you have fulfilled, kept every jot and tittle of God's law. You can't stand, can you? No. But there is one who has. Christ. The first table of the law, these first three commandments, are sometimes summarized with a verse that was quoted in Sunday's gospel do you, anybody can you just recite it you shall love the lord your god with all your heart with all your soul with all your mind and with all your strength there's the first table and the second table is like it love your neighbor as yourself and when we get into the 4th, 5th, 6th, on through the 10th Commandments, you'll see in the positive descriptions, Tom, what love for the neighbor looks like. Okay? But think about this summary, and, and it's recorded numerous times in the Old Testament. That summary, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Think about that for a minute. Be honest with yourself. Have I desired, loved, had affection for, trust, and devotion for the Lord my God at all times in my life, without fail. No, but that's what the law demands. Because he alone is God, and he alone is creator, and apart from him there is no life. You see how the law shows us our sin and how much we need a Savior. So the first three commandments, first table of the law, and then four through ten, second table of the law, summarized love your neighbor as yourself or in place of yourself. And I want you to think about what Jesus did. He not only kept the law in that he never committed adultery, he never disobeyed his parents, he never lied, he never stole, he never cheated, and so forth. He always went to synagogue and rejoiced to hear God's word. But he also kept the law in this sense. What does the law demand of the sinner? Of the sinner, death, punishment. Jesus kept the law when it says, for us. Those two words are extremely important at the bottom, for us. The most important words are Christ fulfills the law, but these are important too, for us. He did for us what you and I could not do for ourselves. That's our salvation. That's what makes the Christian life a life of joy and rejoicing. That Christ has died for me, the Son of God. And if the Son of God becomes flesh and he sheds his blood and dies for your sin to make payment for your sin, that death can save you. And it does. And the proof of that salvation is its result, his resurrection from the dead. And that is what we shall receive, resurrection from the dead through his forgiveness. So Christ fulfills the law for us in our place by going to the cross, ultimately by suffering the punishment that the law demanded. Returning to that Philippians passage that I quoted to you earlier, that's what Paul is talking about. you doesn't trust in anything else. Not his works, not his accomplishments, not the merits of the saints. Whatever was to my profit is garbage. Actually, in the Greek, it's like a dung. That's what it means. Compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. And having a righteousness, he says, not of my own that comes from the law, but having the righteousness that comes from God and is by faith. All right. Any any questions here before going on to a narrative? I'll pause and allow you to do that. Susan, speak up loud and I'll repeat it for the recording's sake. If you don't believe that you are a sinner and that Christ alone is your salvation, then you're not a Christian. Now, the old Adam in us doesn't believe that, and there is warfare, and we'll talk about that between the old and the new Adam. But I'm talking, Susan, speaking against the conscious, no, I don't believe that I'm a sinner, or I may be a sinner, but I'm not that bad, or I may be a sinner, but Jesus does some, and I'm up to the rest. That's not Christian. Okay. Lori. So I think that's a good distinction to make because Catholicism is works-driven, but I know Catholics who confess Jesus as their Savior. Correct, correct. So
1: by clarifying that statement, even though it's works.
0: There's works righteousness in Lutherans that they need to repent of. Okay. So it's a good question. All right. Let's go to the rich man and Lazarus. It's on on the back page. I'm going to read this narrative, and then I want to ask you some questions about it. Luke 16, 19 through 31. There was a certain rich man who was clothed in purple and fine linen and fared sumptuously every day. But there was a certain beggar named Lazarus, full of sores, who was laid at his gate, desiring to be fed with the crumbs which fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, the dogs came and licked his sores. So it was that the beggar died and was carried by the angels to Abraham's bosom. The rich man also died and was buried, and being in torments in Hades, he lifted up his eyes and saw Abraham afar off and Lazarus in his bosom. Then he cried and said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me and send Lazarus that he may dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I am tormented in this flame. But Abraham said, Son, remember that in your lifetime." You received your good things, and likewise Lazarus evil things, but now he is comforted and you are tormented. And besides all this, between us and you there is a great gulf fixed, so that those who want to pass from here to you cannot, nor can those from there pass to us. Then he said, I beg you, therefore, Father, that you would send him to my father's house, for I have five brothers, that he may testify to them, lest they also come to this place of torment. Abraham said to him, They have Moses and the prophets. Let them hear them. And he said, No, Father Abraham, but if one goes to them from the dead, they will repent. But he said to him, If they do not hear Moses and the prophets... Neither will they be persuaded, though one rise from the dead. Now we've got five questions there for you. Depending on the year and the class, I spend more or less time with this this reading. But the first question is, based on the scriptures here, what was the faith of the rich man? The, The rich man died and went to hell... He fared sumptuously, which means all of his earthly needs were met. He ate well, he dressed well, he lived well. When he died, he went to hell. Based on the narrative, what, what was the faith of the rich man? Because remember, the first commandment says, Trust me. What was the faith? What did he trust in? Him? Himself. himself. His wealth, his accomplishments. Have you ever heard something like this? How many of you think that's bad? To trust in your wealth, your accomplishments, for salvation. How many of you think that's bad? Well, it is bad. However, let me ask you this question that's not on the sheet. Have you ever heard something like this? Mark is suffering, you know, he's had a hard life, His, back is all messed up his knees need to be replaced all this is true you don't mind me divulging this to you so obviously he must have done something wrong because if look at how he's suffering in his life for someone like Alex Scheller fair sumptuously every day he's dressed in fine linen obviously he's done something right Have you ever heard anything similar to that? That if a person is down and out and suffering, obviously because of their sin, or God is somehow putting the screws to them, but if someone is living the good life, got a wonderful wife and family and maybe a lake cottage up north, and man, he's, he's blessed by God. He must be a good person, Tom. Yeah, they both deserved it, exactly. Do you see how a work's righteousness can enter into something like that? But the faith of the rich man was a, a reliance, a trust in himself. So his God was himself, his own works. I worked hard for this money. He's dressed in purple and fine linen, so he probably had a position of prominence in the community. He may have written out large checks to the community chest to provide for the indigent. Like Ebenezer Scrooge, you know. Are there not workhouses? Okay. But ultimately, he trusted in himself. Well, Lazarus desired to receive the crumbs. We're not even certain he got the cross, right? And it, look at how self centered he is. Even from hell, he is ordering around Lazarus. Hey, Father Abraham, tell Lazarus to dip his finger in water and cool my tongue. Still, he's arguing with the Lord. What was the faith of the beggar Lazarus? What's that? Totally dependent upon the Lord. A beggar, see, Jesus tells this is a parable, so he is using the words and making the word choices. A beggar is someone who, by definition, is totally what upon someone else? Dependent, exactly. So he's a beggar. The name Lazarus, anyone know what it means? God is my help. The rich man isn't given a name. But Jesus gives the beggar a name. So his name, God is my help, and that he's a beggar, he has nothing, he's totally dependent, paints the picture by Jesus in the parable that his trust was in the Lord, and certainly not in himself. So he depended upon one outside of himself, namely the Lord who loved him and who was his salvation. And then the reference to Father Abraham and Abraham's bosom. Abraham's bosom, you know, that's where you get comforted. That's a picture of heaven. So when a Christian dies, we, uh, Bernice Lemke was called to Abraham's bosom this afternoon. And so now she, what do we say? She is at rest. She is at peace now. So Abraham's bosom. And why the Old Testament patriarch Abraham? Because to him was given the promise of salvation. And in the Old Testament, Genesis chapter 15, it says, Abraham believed in the Lord's promise and that promise was accounted to him for righteousness. So Abraham was justified through faith in the promise. And that's what it is to be a Christian, to be a beggar, I'm a sinner, but Christ is my Savior. To be a beggar is to believe the repentant faith. I'm the sinner, but Christ is my righteousness. And so that was the faith of the beggar Lazarus. The next question, were they both sinners? Yes, Yes, they were. It's not that one was more sinful than the other. So the reason then that the rich man went to hell is he rejected Christ. He rejected the Lord's salvation. So going back to Susan's question earlier, there's a difference between we all struggle with these false notions of works righteousness that creeps in and we renounce it and we're called to repentance and we confess our sin and so forth, including works righteousness, and we flee to Jesus for forgiveness. There's a difference between that and the obstinate refusal. No. I will be my own savior. I don't want Christ and I don't need him. So they're both sinners. What it turned on was the faith of the heart. Next question there. Why did the rich man go to hell and the beggar go to heaven, Abraham's bosom? It was solely based on faith and unbelief. Faith and unbelief. So the unbelief was works righteousness, Tom, exactly. Whereas... Faith was a faith in the Lord and in his righteousness. Now, why this account for a night when we have discussed briefly the first three commandments of the law? I ask the question, where do you see the first three commandments in the parable? Like the first commandment, you shall have no other gods, trust me. In Lazarus, you see one who trusted, but in the beggar, he had a God, didn't he? But it wasn't the Lord. Okay. What's, I, I, uh, the rich man. He had a God, but it wasn't the Lord. Thank you. Just checking to see if you're listening. Second commandment, pray to me. Did the you could, It sounds like prayer, doesn't it? The rich man. Hey, Father Abraham. And then if they don't hear moses and the prophets neither will they be persuaded though no if one rises from the dead no if they don't hear them they're not going to be persuaded if someone rises from the dead here he's argue, it sounds like prayer right because he's addressing father abraham not actually addressing the lord but it sounds like an address to heaven but it's not prayer why it's not prayer because prayer is based on trust in the lord not trust in Self Prayer rests upon the promises of God's mercy in Jesus, not on self. We'll talk more about that when we talk about the Lord's Prayer. The rich man
1: never said, it, if it is your will.
0: Yeah, never, never if it is your will. He had his will, and God jolly well better ante up according to his will. Right. And finally, the third commandment. Uh, Pastor Gelbach? Yes, there was a Lazarus in John 11 that rose from the dead. And the result was that the self-righteous churchman wanted to kill him. And that was a week before Holy Week that those events took place. Third commandment, hear me. Now remember the Sabbath day, hear me. Where's the third commandment lurking, the hearing of God's word in this parable? It's anchored in what? father abraham says to the rich man when the rich man says send lazarus to warn my brothers what does the father abraham say he says if they do not hear moses and the prophets moses is a reference to the first five books of the old testament scriptures the prophets the rest of it and of course at the time of jesus speaking the parable that's the extent of the bible it's Moses and the prophets and the Psalms. The New Testament wasn't written yet at the time he spoke the parable. So what is the point? If you want to bring someone to repentance for their sin and faith in Christ for their sin, there is no other way but through the word of God. Now here's the good news. On the one, well, here's the bad news. On the one hand, in the rich man, we see our own sinful flesh. The old Adam in us is just like him. In fact, you know, when I look at the description, rich man fared sumptuously, fine linen, nice house, good eats, good drink, beggar covered with sores, dogs lick him, off scouring and degradation of the world. I mean, if you give me those two descriptions, I want to be the rich man. I don't want to be the poor beggar covered with sores, in pain, in pain, Hungry, sickly, dogs licking my sores. I mean, some of you like dogs, but I don't like dogs that much that I want them licking the the pus from my body. So you give me the choice between, I'd rather be like the rich man, at least in this earthly life, but he's the one that goes to hell because he doesn't have Christ as his God and Savior. He's rejected the gift of salvation. But here's the good news. Though trust is not anything that we can manufacture in ourselves for God, nor right prayer or desire to hear, the gospel, remember how we began, we talked about law and gospel, the gospel, the good news of God's love in Christ. For those who don't deserve it. And who have not earned it. The gospel creates. What the law demands. The gospel gives. And creates in the hearts. Of self-righteous sinners. Beggarly trust. That clings to Christ. So if we struggle. To believe and to pray. According to. The commandments. What we need. More of is to hear what Christ has done for us and to hear his forgiving word. And that's what leads us now then to confess our sins and then to receive the Lord's Supper. And so let us prepare for the sacrament by singing hymn 581. According to the stanzas listed, which are the first three commandments, stanzas 1 through 4, and then stanzas 11 and 12, Please stand, you've been sitting a while. Almighty God, merciful Father. I, a poor miserable sinner, confess unto you all my sins and iniquities with which I have ever offended you and justly deserve your temporal and eternal punishment. But I am heartily sorry for them and sincerely repent of them, and I pray you of your boundless mercy and for the sake of the holy, innocent, bitter sufferings and death of your beloved Son, Jesus Christ, to be gracious and merciful to me, a poor, sinful being. Upon this, your confession, I, by virtue of my office as a called and ordained servant of the Word, announce the grace of God unto all of you, and in the stead and by the command of my Lord Jesus Christ, I forgive you all your sins, in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Let us pray. Lord Jesus, you invite all who are burdened with sin to come to you for rest. We now come at your great invitation to the heavenly feast which you have provided for your children on earth. Preserve us from impenitence and unbelief, cleanse us from our transgressions and unrighteousness, and clothe us with the righteousness purchased with your blood. Strengthen our faith, increase our love and hope, and assure us a place at your heavenly table where we will ever eat eternal manna and drink of the river of your pleasure forever and ever, for you live and reign with the Father and the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. The Lord be with you. Lift up your hearts. We lift them to the Lord. Let us give thanks to the Lord, our God.
1: It is right to give him thanks and praise.
0: It is truly good, right, and salutary that we should at all times and in all places give thanks to you, Holy Lord, Almighty Father, everlasting God, for the countless blessings you so freely bestow on us and all creation. Above all, we give thanks for your boundless love shown to us when you sent your only begotten Son, Jesus Christ, into our flesh and laid on him our sin, giving him into death that we might not die eternally. Because he is now risen from the dead and lives and reigns to all eternity, all who believe in him will overcome sin and death and will rise again to new life. Therefore, with angels and archangels, and all the company of heaven, we laud and magnify your glorious name, evermore praising you and saying, Holy, 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 holy Lord God of Sodom. Heaven and earth are full of thy glory. Hosanna, Hosanna, Hosanna in the highest. Blessed is he that cometh in the name of the Lord. Hosanna,
1: Hosanna, Hosanna in the highest.
0: Blessed are you, O Lord, our God, King of all creation. For you have had mercy on us and given your only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. In your righteous judgment you condemn the sin of Adam and Eve, who ate the forbidden fruit, and you justly barred them and all their children from the tree of life. Yet in your great mercy you promised salvation by a second Adam, your Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord, and made his cross a life-giving tree for all who trust in him. We give you thanks for the redemption you have prepared for us through Jesus Christ. Grant us, your Holy Spirit, that we may faithfully eat and drink of the fruits of his cross and receive the blessings of forgiveness, life, and salvation that come to us in his body and blood. Hear us as we pray in his name but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Our Lord Jesus Christ, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to the disciples and said, Take, eat. This is my body, which is given for you. This do in remembrance of me. O Christ, thou Lamb of God, that takest away the sin of the world. Have mercy upon us. O Christ, thou Lamb of God, that takest away the sin of the world. Have mercy upon us. O Christ, thou Lamb of God, that takest away the sin of the world. Grant us thy peace. The body and blood of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ strengthen and preserve you body and soul in the true faith unto life everlasting. Depart in peace. And blood of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ strengthen and preserve you body and soul in the true faith unto life everlasting. Depart in peace. The body and blood of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ strengthen and preserve you, body and soul and the true faith unto life everlasting. Depart in peace. Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. And his mercy endures forever. Blessed Savior Jesus Christ, you have given yourself to us in this holy sacrament. Keep us in your faith and favor that we may live in you even as you live in us. May your body and blood preserve us in the true faith to life everlasting. For you live and reign with the Father and the Holy Spirit. One God now and forever. Amen. Let us bless the Lord. Thank you, Thanks God. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious unto you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. Amen. Amen. Again to the Divine Service. Just a couple of other announcements. I'm glad you're here tonight, as the first one Uh, is a a little longer than intended for all of them. So we had introductory material uh, to cover at the beginning. Um, But I wanted to let you know that all of the sessions are recorded, they're posted online, as will be also the study sheet. Uh, If you miss, you want to catch up, it's available online. If you don't have a means to listen online, let us know and Sherry and I can get you a CD of the sessions. Uh, Secondly, if you would be so kind as to sign at least uh, your name for tonight, it helps us keep track of who is here over the course of the weeks and who are not. In case I missed one, when was it? And it's a little bit of an attendance. There's a clipboard in the hallway. There's also additional pink sheets that have the schedule of all of the Didache Divine service services, as well as uh, the, um, the special services uh, for All Saints celebrations and so forth. So thank you and have a good rest of the week.